Hello, eMigCast listeners. This is Kate Rodman, MS3 slash MS4 hopeful. I'm recording this episode from home as I follow Oregon's stay-at-home order due to COVID-19. I, like most medical students, have been pulled from rotations and asked to study and or work remotely. So in my newfound free time, I decided to dive into some physiology and discuss acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS. This is currently very relevant as severe cases of COVID are presenting with this syndrome. My outline for this episode will be to focus on the pathophysiology of ARDS and then go through a basic overview of clinical presentation, diagnosis, and management. This information will be gauged more towards how it may present on step one and step two, as well as info that you can apply on your EM, SABI, or Mickey rotation. First off, I want to say that ARDS is not uncommon in hospitalized patients. One large observational study conducted across 459 ICUs in 50 countries found that about 10% of ICU patients met ARDS criteria. And the same study showed that ARDS patients make up over 20% of the ICU patients requiring mechanical ventilation. So this is a syndrome you will be seeing on clerkships as well as on a test. I have cited this study in the bio and as always, this is a good time to note that I am not an intensivist or even a real doctor. This is all information I acquire from many reputable sources and distill for listeners so you can get a quick, reliable overview. If there are ever discrepancies, please reach out and I'll include corrections. So what is ARDS? Simplified, it is an acute inflammatory lung injury that results in increased vascular permeability. So to think about this, I like to go back to basic lung physiology. Within our lung, we have millions of alveoli that are responsible for ventilation. These alveoli are surrounded by capillaries where gas exchange occurs. Between alveoli and capillaries, there's a very thin interstitium where fluid passes and is balanced by my personal favorite equation, Starling's Law. Here, the balance of hydrostatic and oncotic pressures allows for tightly regulated flow of fluid across the interstitium between lungs and blood. Under normal conditions, any interstitial fluid will be cleared by our lymphatic system. When there is an insult to the lungs, though, it causes inflammation. This causes a release of pro-inflammatory cytokines like TNF, IL-1, IL-6, IL-8. If you remember back, uh, these are cytokines that really stimulate inflammation and acute phase proteins. IL-8 is the major neutrophil recruiter. Remember first aid's cleanup on IL-8 for neutrophil recruitment? And these neutrophils release proteases and other mediators that damage the capillaries and the alveoli. By damaging vascular endothelium, you ruin the fluid homeostasis and fluid and protein leaks into surrounding interstitium and alveoli. The epithelium of the alveoli are also damaged and fill with fluid and debris. This results in the formation of intraalveolar hyaline membranes. That's a step one piece of information to know. But more importantly, you should know that this causes widespread collapse of alveoli and leads to intrapulmonary shunting of blood. So you will have an elevated alveolar to arterial gradient that does not respond to supplemental oxygen. This makes sense if you think about it. You're increasing the oxygen in the patient's lungs, but they don't have enough functioning alveoli to participate in transfusion of that oxygen into the blood. The functioning alveoli are already already loaded with oxygen, so that supplemental O2 is just hanging out. Altogether, this causes hypoxemia and decreased lung compliance as the lungs stiffen. This state can be referred to as non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema, which is the abnormal absence of fluid around 
abnormal presence of fluid around the lungs. It's important to rule out cardiogenic pulmonary edema because as we know, congestive heart failure is going to be much more common than ARDS, so you got to rule out any other heart path. ARDS is thought to progress through distinct pathological states. The first stage may be referred to as the acute or exudative stage during the first 7 to 10 days, and that's the pathology I just outlined with those exudates filling the lungs. After this stage, the pulmonary edema can resolve and there's a proliferation of type 2 alveolar cells. There's collagen de deposition and myofibroblast infiltration. This is called the fibroproliferative stage and can last for varying lengths. The next stage is the fibrotic or chronic stage where patients um, can have marked fibrosis that ranges from very mild to a severe alteration of the lung architecture. Going back to the beginning, the original insult to the lungs can come in many forms, the most common etiology being sepsis, which makes sense if you think about that these patients have plenty of systemic inflammatory cytokines that can cause lung damage. Pneumonia is also common. It is probably the most common cause of ARDS that develops outside the hospital. Important to note, severe influenza can propagate ARDS, or as we're now seeing, COVID-19 is leading to this syndrome as well. There are lots of other causes such as smoke inhalation, pneumonitis, pancreatitis, pulmonary contusion, transfusion-related acute lung injury or trolley, um, or recent invasive surgery, and the list goes on and on. I want to highlight these other causes because they come up on board exams. Personally, I have come across numerous UWorld questions about ARDS secondary to pancreatitis. So consider it if you have a question about a desatting patient who recently was in a fire or car accident where the steering wheel could have caused blunt trauma, where they frequently acerate, or they just were binge drinking. These are all important uh, clues to consider when taking exams. Okay, so now how are these patients going to present? Typically, a patient will be experiencing dyspnea, tachypnea, tachycardia as they struggle with increased work of breathing as well as decreasing oxygen saturation. These symptoms will begin following a recent lung insult, such as the ones I just discussed a minute ago. It's usually a quick progression from the time of insult, anywhere from hours to a few days. For step one, the timeline to remember is that it has to be within a week of the insult. It is important to note that ARDS is usually occurring in a patient who's already admitted, and it's occurring secondary to their admitting diagnosis. Physical exam findings in these patients are usually non-specific. But as I mentioned earlier, you have to rule out other causes. So just like any other patient, take a good history. Did they have orthopnea, peripheral edema, or PND, which makes you think maybe CHF? What about hemoptysis or smoking history that may suggest a PE or cancer? And obviously ask about any of the insults we've discussed. A good differential should include cardiogenic pulmonary edema, bilateral pneumonia, interstitial pneumonitis, pulmonary fibrosis, and I almost always have an underlying malignancy on any differential. If they have a history and presentation concerning for ARDS, the studies you're going to want to collect is your usual CBC, CMP, LFTs, and importantly, an arterial blood gas, or ABG. A BNP is often collected to investigate a cardiac cause. Um, you can get a lipase if they have any abdominal symptoms, as they could have pancreatitis, and then get an ECG to evaluate cardiac function. 
you'll absolutely be getting a chest x-ray as abnormal findings are essential for an ARDS diagnosis. And it'll also evaluate for other conditions such as pneumonia or pulmonary effusion or masses. It's not standard of care to jump to a CT unless you need a more detailed evaluation of x-ray findings. A pulmonary artery catheter can be placed to determine wedge pressure to differentiate ARDS from cardiogenic pulmonary edema. If there is a normal wedge pressure, which is under 18, that supports ARDS versus an elevated pressure of um, above 18, which makes a cardiac etiology more likely. There are other additional testing that may be done, such as echoes, bronchoscopy, cultures, but I'm not going to dive into those options. So you get your studies back, and what findings do you need to make a diagnosis of ARDS? For exams, you need to know the Berlin criteria, which includes an acute onset within one week of a known insult, bilateral lung infiltrates on uh, chest x-ray, pulmonary edema that is not explained by fluid overload or CHF, and an abnormal ratio of arterial oxygen to fraction of inspired oxygen. For those of you like me who remember just the acronyms, that's the PaO2 to FiO2 ratio. For exams, know that a ratio under 300 meets criteria. If you want more details, technically a ratio of 200 to 300 is considered mild, 100 to 200 is moderate, and under 100 is severe. And this tends to correlate with the morbidity of the condition. This makes sense if you think about it. If you're increasing your FiO2, trying to improve the patient's oxygen, but they're not responding, so your denominator is increasing while the numerator is unchanged, so your ratio ends up plummeting. To treat these patients, you want to maintain oxygenation. You may be able to do this with a Venturi mask or high-flow nasal cannula, but unfortunately, a lot of these patients will require mechanical ventilation. If you're initiating mechanical ventilation, there are some gems to remember. I have based the following information off the guidelines laid out by the American Thoracic Society and the Society of Critical Care Medicine. Most of the details aren't necessary for step one, but it definitely makes you look good on wards if you know these recommendations and the trials they're based on. First off, you want to use lung protective ventilation, which entails a tidal volume of 4 to 8 mils per kit based on predicted body weight not actual body weight, as this can lead to bear trauma in obese patients. These values come from the ARDSNET trial that showed lower mortality and more ventilator-free days in patients who received tidal volumes of 6 mls per keg of their predicted body weight versus those receiving 12. This trial also displayed benefit of setting low inspiratory pressures on the vents. Additionally, you'll want to use uh, positive end expiratory pressures, or PEEP, to give additional support to prop up in those gunky alveoli. There are a lot more specifics when it comes to ventilator settings for ARDS patients, including more on tidal volumes and inspiratory pressures. While this is an important aspect of ARDS management, I'm not going to dive into this because it's not really an area I feel super confident in explaining, so talk with your residents and your intendings while you're on your ICU rotations for specific controls. Another thing you can consider is short-term therapeutic paralysis while on event. Um, there's mixed uh, evidence about this mortality benefit. Another important aspect of ARDS treatment is fluid management. The 2006 FACT trial showed that a conservative fluid management 
targeting a central venous pressure, or CVP, under four improved lung function and reduced both ventilator and ICU days. This can seem a little counterintuitive as sepsis is the leading cause of ARDS and we tend to fluid load septic patients. So this is a good thing to remember. For severe ARDS, um, so a PAFIO2 ratio under 100, the PROCEVA trial showed that placing a patient in prone position for 12 hours a day significantly reduced 28-day mortality. Prone positioning comes with many logistical difficulties, so don't be surprised if this isn't feasible with many patients. You should also know that high-frequency oscillatory ventilation in these patients was associated with increased uh, mortality based on the 2013 oscillate trial. Lastly, I want to mention ECMO, as this has become a hot topic. Currently, the critical care societies agree that there's not enough evidence to support a recommendation for using ECMO as an initial treatment in severe ARDS. A recent trial, um, I believe their, their name is Yolia, uh, showed that mortality was not significantly lower in ARDS patients who received ECMO versus those who received standard of care mechanical ventilation with ECMO as a potential rescue therapy. So while ECMO is being investigated more and more, there is not um, enough evidence to recommend uh, initially treating uh, ARDS with it. So I'm just going to take a quick moment to summarize some of the key facts I discussed. Acute respiratory distress syndrome is an acute inflammatory lung injury that results in increased vascular permeability. It is caused by an insult to the lungs that causes increased inflammatory cytokine production and recruitment of neutrophils that leads to damage of the capillary endothelium and the alveolar epithelium, leading to increased permeability. Ruined fluid homeostasis leads to leaking of fluid from capillaries into the lungs and surrounding tissue. Alveoli collapse due to this fluid and cause widespread intrapulmonary shunting, so giving the patient supplementary O2 does not correct the elevated alveolar to arterial oxygenation gradient. This most commonly presents in patients who are already admitted and have underlying conditions such as sepsis. It can occur in the community due to cap, inhalation injury, pulmonary contusion, pancreatitis, or as we are seeing right now, patients with COVID-19. They will typically present with dyspnea, tachypnea, and tachycardia. Physical exam findings are nonspecific. You're going to collect all your usual blood work, including that important ABG and chest x-ray. To diagnose the patient with ARDS, particularly on a test, you need to have an insult within the last week, bilateral infiltrates on chest x-ray, pulmonary edema not explained by a cardiac cause, and a PaO2 to FiO2 ratio under 300. If the patient is not already admitted, you're going to admit them. You're going to support their ventilation with non-invasive measures if possible or with mechanical ventilation. If you mechanically ventilate them, you are going to use a low volume or lung protective ventilation of 4 to 8 mils per keg of predicted body weight. You can discuss therapeutic paralysis with your attending. You are going to aim for conservative fluid management, keeping a CVP at 4 or less. If they are in severe AERDS, you can consider prone positioning for 12 hours a day. And as of right now, um, you don't need to initiate ECMO initially. 
And that's it. All I have for you today, a quick overview of physiology, presentation, and management. I hope you guys enjoyed listening and learned something. And overall, I just hope everyone is staying safe and sane during these crazy, crazy times. Uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or concerns. And like I mentioned earlier, I have included all the citations for the studies that I've referenced. Um, and that's it.